0: This morning we are beginning a new series of studies in the Old Testament book of Exodus. And during the remainder of October and through up to Thanksgiving, the end of November, we will be spending our Sunday morning with Moses and the people of Israel. And so this morning, if you have your Bible, would you turn with me please to Exodus chapter 2 as we read together the first 10 verses. You'll find it on page 89 of the Church Bible page 89, Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The book of Exodus, as you no doubt know, follows immediately after the book of Genesis. And there are several hundred years between the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. And in fact, in Exodus chapter 1, it is crystal clear in the mind of the writer that those who knew Joseph and his offspring which came at the end of Genesis, have now gone. And there's no collective memory of Joseph or the valuable work he was involved in or all that he did for the people of Egypt. And so as we come to the beginning of chapter 2, we read these words. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank and she saw the basket among the reeds and she sent her slave girl to get it and she opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Yes, go, she answered, and the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. And so the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Could I ask you this morning to use your imagination and to project in your mind around a hundred years in the future. And imagine that one of your relatives, a young lady in her mid-twenties, is trying to trace her family tree Now she traces her family tree and asks her parents and her grandparents about her ancestors and where did they live and what were their names. She's given an old box that used to be in the attic and it's covered in dust. Now she opens up the box, she begins to discover exactly who her ancestors were. And in the process of unpacking old journals, marriage licenses, diplomas from graduation, recommendations for jobs. She comes across your name and she begins to investigate and she begins to dig deep to find out exactly who her ancestors were, where did they live, how many children did they have. And she puts out All these old documents on a large kitchen table. And as she does so, a picture begins to emerge. And it's almost like a jigsaw puzzle. And she begins to get a sense of who you were. What were the things that defined you? What were the important things in your life? And if you have that picture firmly in your mind... That's very similar to what we will be doing over these next couple of weeks as we spend Sunday morning with Moses. What were the things that defined him? Who were his parents? Who were his siblings? The circumstances of his birth? What did he go on to achieve? And as we begin that process, we begin right here in Exodus chapter 2. Because we are conscious, of course, that the birth of Moses determined the destiny of nations. He impacted and influenced and changed world history. But when he was born, that did not seem to be the case. Moses' life, as most of you know, can be split into three sections— 40 years each section. His first 40 years focuses on the birth of Moses, his upbringing, his education in the courts of Pharaoh, his middle 40 years he spent in the desert, and in his final 40 years, Moses, who thought he was a somebody in those first 40 years, discovered in those middle 40 years he was, in fact, a nobody. And then in those final 40 years, he simply gasped for breath when he understood what God can do with a nobody. And that's exactly what we have in the book of Exodus. Moses was born into a country led by an anti-Semitic dictator. His people, the Hebrews, were hated, misused, maligned. This was a world of cruelty and pain and slavery and despair. And here was Moses born into a crucible of oppression and brutality of fear and dread. In chapter 1 of Exodus, we're told that Pharaoh so despised the Hebrew people that he made a royal decree that said all male-born boys were to be killed at birth, thrown into the Nile. Girls could live. Boys were to die. And can you imagine what that would mean Hebrew families living in a time of infanticide. As we read the opening words, what did we discover? There was a man of the house of Levi, married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And the son, of course, was supposed to be killed at birth. Why are we told Mom and dad were Levites. Why is that significant? Why not of the house of Benjamin or Judah or any of the other 12 tribes? Why a Levite? The contextual backdrop is this, that if you were born into the tribe of Levi, you would inevitably qualify to go into the priesthood in ancient Israel. Levites were considered a righteous, holy tribe. And here was Jochebed, Moses' mother, and her husband, devout people, longing to see the purposes and plans of God come to fruition. And suddenly they were expecting, and can you imagine what went through their minds when she discovered she was expecting a baby? Can you begin to get your head around the fears and the concern? Moses had an older sister, Miriam, an older brother, Aaron, and that tells us that this decree of infanticide was fairly new legislation. Otherwise, Aaron, who was three years older, would have been killed at birth. Can you imagine the late night conversations between Jochebed and her husband? The hushed tones, the secret looks, waiting till the children were asleep in the other room and those whispered conversations. What will we do? What if a neighbor hears him crying? What if visitors come over and they discover we have a baby boy? Jochebed is looking at her husband, pleading with him, do something, come up with an answer, take action, please. Can you imagine the fear and the uncertainty, the doubts, the questions going through her mind? And of course, she would have to hide her pregnancy. And here they were, a lovely young couple, Whom everybody knew and knew well, who were social and engaging with their neighbors, people like them, they were popular, had now become furtive, secretive, cautious when they were around others. And in the midst of it all, out of deep abiding reverence, They fully submit and surrender all of their circumstances into the hands of a providential, sovereign God. And they had nowhere else to go. And they made the decision to keep him. As the passage unfolds, what do we discover? When she saw that he was a fine child... This is Moses. She hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. Talk about facing an impossible situation, extreme circumstance. And here is Jochebed stepping forward, the grief and pain and uncertainty, displaying remarkable faith, deep abiding faith. But I also suspect this. I'm fairly convinced in my own mind, Scripture doesn't tell us this, but let's put it down at least to my imagination. That Jochebed in praying, putting together a plan, in thinking, and assessing all that's going on. I imagine as she walked the banks of the river one day, she saw Pharaoh's daughter and her entourage. Of course, she would keep her distance from them, but watch them nonetheless. Then the next day, she would watch them again. And then the third day she knew that there was a pattern here. It was Pharaoh's daughter's custom and tradition to come to the Nile each day to be bathed. And can you imagine Jochebed in her mind beginning to plan and pray and think, Lord, is this your provision for us She comes here at three every afternoon after her siesta to freshen up and prepare for supper later that afternoon in the night's activities. And you can imagine her praying and saying, Lord, what if, what if I take Moses and put him in a basket covered with tar and pitch, and what if I leave him just at the right point where she comes down to bathe? Is this your answer? Is this your sovereign provision in your providence? Is this what we can expect? Is your hand of blessing here? And can you imagine the conversation that night with her husband? I think I've got an answer. Okay, tell me, what do you think it is? And then she steps over, looks in the other room just to make sure Aaron and Miriam are fast asleep. And she says, well, let me tell you, I think we can put him in a basket and put him for Pharaoh's daughter. And he is going, Pharaoh's daughter? Are you kidding me? What if she turns out to be worse than her father? What if she looks at this child and then throws him in the Nile, recognizing he's a Hebrew male? What then? Jochebed says... Is God sufficient for our every need? Can he answer our prayers? Can he protect baby Moses? Can he look after him? Is this his purpose and will? And that's exactly what happens. And you know, of course, that over the next couple of weeks, Jochebed is tutoring Miriam. Miriam, sweetheart, I need you to do me a favor. You know you have a little brother, and he's so precious to us, and I know you've been keeping it secret from all your friends and everyone else, but I'm going to put him in a basket and Come with me and I'll show you what will happen. We'll put him right here and then I'll stand back. I will go further back and I'll hide in the reeds and no one must know and you need to be very quiet. And this is what I want you to tell the lovely lady when she comes down. You casually wander along and offer to help and you can't you can say that you know him or you'll get your mom. Just, Just say, he looks like a Hebrew boy. Will I... Go and get a nurse to help. And you can let out your secret. It must remain between us. Can you see that unfolding in your mind? As she places the baby in the basket and then steps back a couple of hundred yards, hiding behind the tall reeds, watching, listening, and then saying to Miriam, go, go, now, yeah, go, now, now, go, go her heart's pounding, her throat's dry, she's on her tiptoes, trying, no, oh, dear, walking back and forward, hoping no one will notice her. And then when young Miriam comes to get her, she begins to sense the providence of God at work. And when we talk of providence, let me tell you what I mean. It's one of those great doctrines of our faith, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism describes it like this. Providence is God's most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. Providence is the beneficent outworking of God's sovereignty, whereby all events are direct and disposed to bring about those purposes for which the universe was made. Providence thus encompasses both natural and personal events, setting them alike within the purposes of God. And God, looking down, Jochebed and Miriam understands what none of them knew. He knew that history would turn on a hinge at the birth of Moses. God knew that in his covenant plans, his sovereign eternal decrees for the outworking of God's salvation to humanity, this was turning the page into the next chapter of his purpose and plans. And so here they are with baby Moses. And so Miriam played her part. Jochebed played her part. And Can you imagine Jochebed as she came with Miriam to meet the Pharaoh's daughter? And she absolutely could not show in any way, shape or form she knew this baby, couldn't smile and reveal her inner feelings, no tears of recognition, having to take deep breaths to keep her emotions under control, perhaps even a little reluctantly, yes, I think I can help. And then Pharaoh's daughter wonderfully says, please take him look after him, nurse him, and I will pay you. My Scottish heart is leaping at that, just leaping at that. Here is this young family, after months and months of prayers and concern, now has the protection of Pharaoh's daughter to raise their son, given the resources they will need to celebrate and invest life and love in this wee boy, praying for him, teaching him, raising him as we heard earlier in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Here was God at work. And then, eight or nine years later, A day would come when Jochebed would say to Moses, Moses, you're going to live in a new home. Your dad and I won't be there. Aaron, Miriam, they'll not be there either. But I want you to be a good boy. I want you to behave. I want you to remember everything you've been taught. Moses, remember we taught you how to pray at night? Moses, do you remember what we talked to you about? Your birth. Now, please keep that quiet, keep it a secret remember what we taught you about God's love and enabling grace. Remember what we taught you that he is sufficient for your every need. And then she would take that wee boy by the hand. She would gather up antiquities toys, and today it would be little comics and marbles and perhaps some soldiers, and she'd put them in a bag and she'd dress them, and Aaron's best hand-me-down, of course she'd be fixing, fixing his hair as she takes him to the palace, and as he goes to the palace and the door closes behind him, you know that Jochebed went home with a heavy heart. And Moses, in all likelihood, (sighs) cried himself to sleep those first couple of weeks, night after night, wondering what is going on. How can this be fair? If God truly loved me, why did he not work it out for me to stay with my parents? And not only was Moses heartbroken, think of Jochebed, F.B. Meyer, an outstanding preacher of years gone by, writes about Jocabed in these words, the mother's heart must have suffered bitterly as she let her boy go into the unknown world within the great palace gate. Very lonely, must the little household have felt when the last kisses had been exchanged, the last instruction given, and the last prayer offered? What a crowd of tender thoughts, curious speculations, and eager yearnings must have followed that little nursling of the Hebrews' home as his mother took him and brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. Can you imagine what that was like? Now let's pause for a second and wrap this all up this morning. And it's this. Regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in, no matter how painful, how distraught you are, how tempted to despair you may be, please understand this, that God is sufficient for your every need, and you can trust Him. Miriam and her husband, Aaron, excuse me, Jochebed and her husband Miriam and Aaron learned that in the most practical of ways, that the sovereign, purposeful hand of God was at work. They could not see what he was doing. They could not understand. They had no inclination that in the years ahead, this wee boy would become God's sovereign instrument in the courts of Pharaoh to bring about the emancipation of the people of Israel and continue the line that would come to give birth to a Messiah. But at the time, they could not see. And please understand, He has got you and you can trust Him for every moment of every day. And as you begin to lay out spiritually the pieces of your life, the things that are important, the things that define you, the things that make you who you are, remember to put in the center your willingness to submit and surrender each moment of every day to his providential care and grace. He is sufficient. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this remarkable story of the birth of Moses. Father, over these weeks together, remind us again and again of your sovereign love, your care for us, that you have us in the palm of your hands. Father, enable us this week, please, to once again submit and surrender every circumstance of our life to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.